Good morning. It's great to see all of you this morning. We welcome you and uh, especially our visitors and hope that you'll be back. Through the years, one of my favorite tracks to give to someone who's not familiar with Churches of Christ is entitled uh, Churches of Christ, Who Are These People? And the writer is Joe Barnett, a longtime preacher out in, in Texas, as my knowledge. But I've always enjoyed this tract, and I want to use this title as, as a lead-in to our lesson this morning. Tucker and I have been exploring uh, from, we, from several weeks out of the month uh, some uh, doctrinal issues, doctrinal teachings, and I want to approach one of those uh, with you this morning that's often unique to Churches of Christ, but not exclusively. Who are Churches of Christ? Well, are we a Bible-believing church? And the answer to that is absolutely a Bible-believing church. We believe that the Bible is inspired. It's the, it's the Word of God. But we want to be more than a Bible-believing church. We want to be a Bible-shaped church. That is, everything that we teach and practice is supported from, from the Scriptures. So based upon that and that, that uh, determination to be a Bible-shaped church, I want to make a statement and then explore it with you. The churches of Christ are undenominational. Undenominational. That may, may sound like a strange term, but I want to unpack that with you for a few moments. Here's a definition. This is a term applied to those who oppose the denominational concept and who wish no denominations existed. It's not, it's not to say we want to get rid of all of our friends and denominations. That's not, not to say it at all, but the, the concept of denominationalism. So to unpack that statement and what is meant by that, I want us to look at uh, three different terms, three different terms. The first one is this term denominational. What is meant by denominational? Well, by definition, the word to denominate means to name, to classify, or to name the subunits of a class. And let me give you an illustration uh, that's still being used today, but not as much since the invention of the credit card and debit card and such. And that is our, our currency, our American currency, has denominational units. The $1 bill, the $5 bill, 20 so forth. Um, I don't often see a, a dollar bill increment larger than 20. <laughs> um, but those are denominational units of our currency. When applied religiously, especially to followers of Jesus, as Protestant churches began to form during the Reformation, Reformation movement, they were eventually considered as subunits of the Christian church at large, and thus denominations. And this denominational concept suggests that believers are divided into subgroups each holding somewhat different and even at times opposing viewpoints and even differing as to what one must do to enter this denomination or enter into the church. Question for us to explore, is that what our Lord wanted? Is that what our Lord wanted? Go back to John chapter 17 and what we can call the real Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed this prayer. He prayed for you and for me, for all those who would follow him. 
I do not pray for these alone, speaking of his apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And to what end did Jesus pray? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed for unity among his followers. That we be one, that we be united, just like Jesus and God are united in the Godhead. That all those who follow Jesus will be united. And thus Jesus would be against anything that would divide us. But notice why he prayed for this unity, not just for unity's sake, but that the world may believe that God sent Jesus into the world. And if you look at the religious landscape of those who who profess to follow Jesus, and we see so many divisions, is that what our Lord prayed for? Not only did Jesus pray for unity among his followers, he paid for unity among his followers. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. And the backdrop of this passage is Jews and Gentiles. You talk about denominations. The human population at one time was denominated into Jews and Gentiles. And there was a lot of enmity between those two. But then Paul is writing about the church and how that in Christ... Jews and Gentiles can be united together in the Lord's body. Notice what he says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, referring to the Gentiles, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made both one and has broken down that middle wall of partition having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. You see that? Jews and Gentiles, denominated enemies, brought together in Christ, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Verse 17 And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, to Gentiles and to Jews. For through him we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father. So the church is the great uniting uh, body. And those who had been enmities outside of Christ are now brought together within the body of Jesus. Jesus prayed for unity. He paid for unity by his death and by his blood. We can be united in his church, the body of Christ, the family of God. So denominational is one term. Pre-denominational is another term I'd like for us to consider. Pre-denominational. And what we mean by this is simply this. The church of Jesus Christ was pre-denominational. That is, the church existed before different denominations came into being. Jesus says to Peter, after he made the great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said to Peter, upon this rock, the rock of his confession, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
Jesus says, I will build my church. My church. The church, as it began in the first century, did not have denominational divisions. We read about only one church in the New Testament. The church that Jesus established. The church that Jesus died to purchase. The church that the apostles guided by, by the Holy Spirit. There were different congregations, but there was one church. It, even every congregation was instructed to follow the same general pattern of beliefs and practices. In fact, the word church, uh, ecclesia is the Greek term meaning the called out or the assembly, appears in two senses in the New Testament. Sometimes it, it refers to the church that Jesus built, the church universal. Upon this rock I will build my church. Also, Paul would echo, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The church that Jesus established, the church that Jesus built, the church that, that the apostles guided. It's used in the universal sense. It's also used in the local sense. For example, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, to the church of God which is at Corinth. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And you read about, for example, in Revelation, the letters to the seven churches of Asia. This is in the local sense. Pergamum, Thyatira, so forth, Sardis. These are congregations of the Lord's church in different localities. Those are the two senses in which the word church is used, the church at large or the church as the local congregation. From Matthew to Revelation, you won't find the first reference to different denominations, just the church. So what we find in the New Testament is that followers of Christ simply consider themselves to be members of the church which Jesus built, which belongs to him. So I love this definition by Dan Chambers. Churches of Christ are simply a loose fellowship of independent local congregations committed to following the same pattern of beliefs and practices that congregations in the New Testament followed. All we read about in the New Testament is the church which Jesus established. What are we in churches of Christ seeking to do? Be that church. Be that church. Which church, people often, uh, critics of this idea suggest, are you going to be like the church at Corinth or, or the church at Galatia? No, we're going to seek to be the church that the apostles guided. For example, church at Corinth had multiple problems, multiple problems. And the book of 1 Corinthians is the apostle Paul by inspiration addressing those issues. What are we seeking to be? We're seeking to follow the, the teachings that Paul gave to address those problems in that co local congregation and any problems similar to that. We want to be a church that belongs to Christ. We want to be one of those congregations of which Paul speaks, greet one another with a holy kiss. And I know I didn't greet you with a holy kiss this morning, but if I greeted you, I hope it was with a warm handshake or a hug. 
But notice the second part of this. The churches of Christ greet you. The congregations of, of the church of Christ greet you. When we say we want to be that church of Christ, that church that Jesus built, we're see- seeking to say that, that we want to be that congregation that belongs to Jesus and is following the same general pattern of beliefs and practices that the New Testament church did. That's what this congregation seeks to be, just that and nothing more. So there's pre-denominational, reference to the church that Jesus built, that the the spirit-guided apostles led, and the church that we're seeking to be. So what's this term undenominational? Undenominational. When we say churches of Christ are undenominational, again, by definition, a term applied to those who oppose the denominational concept and who wish no denominations existed. And what we mean by that is that we wish none of those distinct distinctions existed, that we would all unite under Christ, all unite to follow the way that the the New Testament presents the church, its, its practices, its teachings. And there are two reasons why we oppose this denominational concept. Number one, as we've stated, different denominations are conspicuously absent in the New Testament. We just don't read about those. And that's a strong case to say that God doesn't want his people divided like that, but rather united, which brings us to the second point. There is an appeal in the New Testament for unity and a condemnation of division in God's church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is the closest thing to where denominations could have come about easily, but the Apostle Paul addresses it. Disunity was one of the issues in the church at Corinth. They were being divided. And it was where they were placing their allegiance. But watch what the Apostle Paul says to them. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Don't you hear the plea for unity here? But watch what was causing the division among these Christians. It has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. I am of, you could understand that to mean I belong to. And what their division was in in this congregation was... They were saying, well, I, I was uh, baptized after Paul preached the gospel. Well, I followed after Apollos. Well, I followed after Cephas or, or Peter. And so they were dividing themselves based upon the teacher that had presented Jesus to them. And some were saying, I am of Christ. I belong to Christ. If there was ever a time when denominations could have resulted, this is it. But what what is Paul doing here? He's pleading for unity. And And he poses these questions in the very next verse. Number one, is Christ divided? 
These are rhetorical questions, so the answer is implied. And the answer is, is Christ divided? No, Christ isn't divided. Number two, was Paul crucified for you? And the answer, of course, is no, Paul wasn't crucified for them. Jesus was crucified for them. And Paul is, is declaring by that, by that question, then it's Jesus that you should align yourself with. It's Jesus that you need to follow, not a teacher that teaches you about Jesus. Third question, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Again, the answer is clear, no. Not in the name of Paul or Cephas or Apollos, but in the name of Christ. So he's pleading with them. Therefore then, don't elevate teachers more than any one over the other, but you elevate Christ and you seek to follow him. You be united in Christ. When denominations could have easily formed following one teacher over another, Paul, by inspiration, is, is dispelling that. He is, he is teaching against that. No, that's not the way it works. We are followers of Jesus. He died for us. You were baptized in the name of Christ. So he is the one that, that we follow. You add to this, Paul speaks often of one body. And he's referring to the church. So let me do a little review with you to underscore the emphasis on unity in the scriptures. Jesus prayed for it, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He prayed for it. He paid for it with his blood. He shed his blood so that there are no longer these divisions of, of Jew and Gentile, but in Christ they can be brought together and that, what brought them together was the blood of Jesus, united them in his family. The Apostle Paul, as we've seen, pleaded for it. I, I beg you, I plead with you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, be of the same mind, say the same thing, teach the same thing is the idea. He pleaded for unity. And not only that, the Lord planned for our unity. He planned for it. Again, the Apostle Paul, but it's the Lord speaking through the Apostle Paul. Notice what he says, Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If you look at that verse alone, you'll see characteristics of peacemakers bearing with one another, um, working hard to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort, one translation says, to keep the unity that the Spirit has made possible. And then he speaks about seven ones. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. What is your will, Lord, about followers of Jesus? How about the word one? That they be one, just like Jesus prayed. And Paul says seven ones, seven basic foundational truths that will unite God's people. 
And among those, there is one, one body. One body. To what does that refer? Let's let Paul answer that. He put all things under his, Christ's feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. One body, one church. It's the only one you read about in the New Testament. So isn't it wise? Isn't it natural that we would want to be that church? The church that Jesus built. The church that the apostles guided by inspiration. To be that church. We issue a call to all believers in Christ. Let's put away denominational distinctions. Let's unite under the lordship of Jesus and the teachings of his spirit-guided word. That's the plea. That's the plea. Let there be no divisions. Let's be one in Christ. Is that call for unity idealistic? Perhaps. But we believe it's thoroughly biblical. Thoroughly biblical. After all, he prayed, Jesus prayed for unity among his followers. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us. And let me end with that prayer of Jesus. Jesus paid the price so that we can be at one with God. It was sin that separates us from God. Jesus paid the price for our sins that when we obey the gospel, we can have our sins washed away by his blood. And we, at the same moment, are added to the family of God. We are in God's family. We've been reconciled. We are at one with him. And it's Jesus who made that possible. But not only that, not only are we made one with God, we're made one with one another. We're united in the family of God, the church, the one body. That's what Jesus prayed for and paid for. That's what the Apostle Paul pleaded for. And that's what the Lord planned for, to be one in Christ. Are you at one with God? That's the first question that needs to be resolved. Are, are we at one with God? We can be at one with God. We can be reconciled to Him if we'll just put the Lord on in baptism as a penitent believer. And if you're ready to do that, not only when you're baptized into Christ will your sins be washed away, you'll be added to God's family, the church. Which church? church that Jesus built the church that you read about in the New Testament let's simply seek to be that church and if we plant the same seed that was planted in the first century we're going to gain the same fruit Christians New Testament Christians united under the Lordship of Jesus united in seeking to teach and practice that which we read about in the New Testament. Another blessing of being a part of the family of God is that if we wander away, even if we have struggles in our lives and we have a family that loves us, we have a, a God who loves us as a Heavenly Father, 
And he wants us to come to him and pray for him for forgiveness or even for strength and for help. And if that expresses your heart this morning, if you desire the prayers of your church family, we'd love to pray with you and for you. And won't you come right now as we stand and sing. Savior, and did my sovereign die.